This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip, let it rip, let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. Very special edition, the basketball edition. We are joined by Doug Bowman and Chris Arvin, our very own basketball insider for Virginia Tech. We are doing this all amidst the coronavirus outbreak. Obviously, we don't want to go too much into that. We know it's a very serious concern right now. Everyone is quarantined. Uh, We just hope that everyone is safe. Everyone is speaking to their loved ones and making sure that everyone is all right and taking care of themselves. And honestly, if we could bring you a little bit of joy with this podcast and take your mind off of things going on outside, that's what we're here to do. Chris, let's start with you. How are you doing, my man? Doing all right. I'm on day five of quarantine. So uh, I, I think I've, I have a little extra time compared to everyone else. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're doing it live. Uh, just, just seeing how each day comes. And we have Doug, who I feel very bad for, because at this moment he was supposed to be on a flight to Las Vegas, but instead is trapped in Richmond, Virginia. Doug, give us some updates with this. I should actually be at the craps table in Las Vegas right now. Um getting ready for the first day of March Madness tomorrow, but uh, obviously that's not happening, so we're we're here in good old Richmond, Virginia, day five of the quarantine, or no, day four of working from home. Um, I think it's probably going to be about time to fire up the Xbox and get some video games going. I'm not, you know, it seems like we got a little ways to go here, and I need some more activities. <laughs> My heart just sunk when you said it was supposed to be the first day of March Madness tomorrow. So other things to look forward to, like the new Call of Duty. Great game, by the way. But recent news out of Virginia Tech basketball. It's the offseason, and Landers Nolly is reportedly in the NCAA transfer portal. He averaged 15.5 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 2.4 assists the report stated that he's looking for a better fit he played the stretch four at virginia tech looking to become a wing somewhere and is getting interest from texas tech oklahoma mississippi state alabama wichita state florida and minnesota now if you've been following our boards for a very long time or following what chris arvin has been putting out there he was saying that nolly was strongly considering going pro but this news to you, Chris, what do you think about it? Him wanting to go somewhere else. Is that a surprise to you? And how did we get to this point where Nolly said, you know what? The NBA, not for me. I need to go somewhere else. I think it's a little surprising in how it came down. Um, it's not really surprising that he left. I think he decided probably two months ago that he wasn't coming back to Blacksburg. And 
whether it was something that happened behind the scenes that most people aren't going to hear about, whether it was his dad saying that he was definitely leaving for the NBA. I mean, you're going to, you're going to hear some rumors. Who knows what the truth is, but uh, I think the, I think he just decided that he was gone. Uh, it was supposed to be the NBA. He had a really poor second half of the year, uh, and he knew that it wasn't his best option, so he wanted to go somewhere else. Uh, I think the line of he's looking for a better fit elsewhere is extremely silly. Uh, Virginia Tech, I think, is perfect for his skill set and to, to show off what he's capable of, uh, and I think he's trying to kind of use that to maybe propel himself forward a little bit to kind of explain the second half of his year. But, um, you know, I, Hey, I wish him the best. He, he committed to Georgia originally, then came to tech, put his name in the portal, pulled it out, is back in the portal. You know, I, I think this kid is just a little bit lost. And I, I think we all need to remember he's 20 years old and he doesn't know really what's going on. So I, I mean, I really feel for him. Uh, but I think Virginia tech is absolutely going to be fine with this news and, um, moving forward. I think they're potentially could be a better team because this, this will be more of a true team feel, not having one player jack up 17, 18 shots a game when they're only hitting 35%. And let's go off that point. You say Virginia tech could be better on in, in the long run for Doug. I mean, losing the top scorer on your basketball team is never a good headline, no matter which way you spin it. But a lot of people, all of us included, see a sense of optimism in this. This isn't a program-defining loss. Why do you think that is? Well, obviously, it's a little bit of what kind of the second half of his season became and how much he struggled there. So I think I think opinions of him as a player got kind of warped by that. I mean... Chris said he's still 20 years old. He still would have been entering his sophomore year. Still has a lot more time to develop as a player if he was willing to give it a shot. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the reason it's not being seen as a devastating loss for Virginia Tech as a program is because of the rest of the talent on the team. Ollie was he's a redshirt freshman, but he's one of six freshmen that were playing this year. Talk about guys like Cone and Radford and Naheem Aline, Johnny Odiaco. You add in the two the two commits um, coming in this year. Um, it's not like this was a this was a loss that it's not like the team was you know hurting for talent or future talent. Um, they're stocked. For, Pretty well, so still on forward. Um, I kind of can compare it to Damon Hazelton transferring from the football team, where you know he's the number two wide receiver, number one, obviously a talented player, um, but not not too many people are upset of, over that loss just because of how well Virginia Tech had recruited the wide receiver position. Kind of the same thing. You have enough players early in their career that you feel good about to to make up for this loss. And what I'm fascinated by is it seemed Nolly was the one guy on the roster that wanted to take the big shot, was trusted with taking the big shot. He was the go-to guy. He was surrounded by a lot of role players doing very well in their own sense. And and Nolly had a lot of pressure on him to perform. And, you know, unfortunately, it did not go his way or Virginia Tech way later on in the season. But with him out of the mix and you're kind of looking forward towards next season, who do you think are some guys that could fill his shoes? Me personally, guys that I see, 
you know, if it's late in the game and you need a three-pointer, I think Jalen Cohn is just the guy you want to get the ball to, a guy that you feel like anytime he takes a shot, it's going in no matter what. Uh, if you need to run a place, you know, Beatty's a guy that, that I think will be trusted as the veteran on the floor, a guy with a lot of experience, uh, you know, playing in the Sweet 16 and, and playing under two different coaches has seen these situations before with a lot of younger guys having him kind of control the court in the final moments. But two guys that I think could become that type of player where they're taking over games at the very ending, I think it could be guys like Naheem Aline, a guy that is a good, solid three-point shooter but isn't scared to drive baseline or take turnaround fadeaways or Joe Bamisil, an incoming recruit. And I know it's it may be unfair to put a lot of stress on a guy that's just coming in and is dominating high school competition because it's completely different in the ACC. But a guy that if you watch his highlights, I mean, he's doing everything all across the floor and a guy that's averaging nearly 30 points per game in high school. So just going to open it up to you guys. Who do you see as the guy for Mike Young in Virginia Tech next year? Yeah, I think uh, first you have to look at Tyrese Radford. And, uh, I mean, I think he was the best player for Virginia Tech this past season. Um, and, and we can talk about that more later. But I think uh, his his ascent will only continue uh, next season, uh, especially with the players that Virginia Tech has coming in. Uh, Bama Seal is uh, really talented from beyond the arc and is another player that will stretch it out. Uh Aluma has kind of added that to his game and added a three, but if not, he can he can be a post-playing big man that can set screens and create space. Uh, Ojiako is going to continue to get better uh, and, and can create that space in the middle. And you know, if if Radford can add an outside shot, he devastating player. Right? I mean, dude can't really shoot much, but he still finds a way to be insanely productive. So. Uh, I think he's number one. Uh, I think Jalen Cohn, like you said, um, is the other player you have to look at. And and one uh, that I think we need to talk about more, uh, and you know, partially my fault for not talking about him more throughout the years, Hunter Couture. Uh, I mean, he went such a long stretch where he was really quiet and people were pretty openly saying, you know, I think he was good for these two years and then I think we're going to go ahead and process him out. Well, like the last three or four games, he was one of Virginia Tech's best players and was hitting shot after shot and just showed insane confidence. And uh, I think that's kind of what was lacking during Virginia Tech's losing stretch. And then he came out and kind of proved everybody wrong, myself included. And so uh, if he can continue that and kind of get that swagger back that we saw early in the year uh, and extend it through next season, I think that he's a player that you could have making a a shot late in the game. So between – you know, those three and Bama Seal coming in, uh, Virginia Tech has some pretty good options to turn to. And, uh, I mean, kind of like you said this year, a lot of it was Nolly, and a few of them were for, were for Radford. Uh, having a few more of those players to be able to space it out will be much better for the team long term. I agree with Radford. I think even this year you saw him getting the ball at the end of the game a lot and I think I think we should put an over under on how many three pointers he's going to practice over the next nine months or so before the season starts. Um, if he can just add even a 
like a threat of a three-point shot. He's going to be electric. Um, already pretty unstoppable going to the basket. You mentioned Cone. I still think it's a little early next year for him as a guy with the ball in his hands at the end of the – with the clock running down. Um, certainly they ran a lot of plays for him late in the year coming off the screens on the wings and stuff, and I think that will continue. But if you're looking for a guy to, you know, shot clock running down or – game clock running down you're definitely going to put the ball i think after the season knowing that he should make some sort of strides shooting from beyond the three-point line i think it's tyrese radford yeah and one thing about radford and i guess the reason i didn't mention him is and it's a testament to him but if you look at what he was able to do last year he did it while being one of the lowest usage players on the court that he wasn't demanding the ball every single possession. He was making the most of his opportunities. So it'll be interesting to see if Mike Young decides, do we make him a focal point and what can he do at that point? Because you would have to imagine if, if he has the ball every single possession, at least in his hands and trying to make a play, maybe his numbers skyrocket from already a very, very solid initial season. The other thing with that is, I guess Mike Young will have to weigh this, but then if he's taking the... If he has the ball in his hands, he's taking most of the shots. How much does that take him off the glass, which is his most incredible skill to be able to rebound as well as he does? And it's kind of like Chris Clark in that regard as a guy that just, you know, out-rebounded guys that are taller than him consistently. So um, I think it'll be interesting for for Mike Young to figure out here um, before next season. And just to close out the chapter on Landers Nolly, with his departure, opens up another spot in the 2020 recruiting class. Luckily, we have Chris Arvin, our recruiting ace. Chris, where do you see the scholarship going? What type of player do you think Virginia Tech is targeting? Uh, what are your initial reads on the open scholarship? Yeah, I think David and Gesson, David and Geeson, however you say it. Um... Yeah, I think he's going to be the guy that will fill that spot. So 6'7", six, 6'8", six, forward, kind of has the same skill set. Obviously, isn't going to be as polished, but um, honestly, we'll, we'll play defense a little bit more and won't bring as much of the offensive impact. So um, in no way am I going to say it's a wash, but I don't think it'll be as big of a downgrade as people expect when um, they see that Landers Nolly is leaving and is getting replaced by a three-star. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, talented guy, has range that extends out to the perimeter, uh, pretty good passer, uh, very willing defender. I think he had a game with like uh, six or seven blocks uh, this season. So, uh, I mean, he he gets after it, and, and I think uh, it, it'll, it'll continue to allow Virginia Tech to add that floor spacing dimension with a big man uh, and be a little bit more versatile, versatile on the defensive end. He, he'll, he'll pair really well with John Ogiaco. So still a little bit of movement uh, to go there, but I think it'll be uh, in guessing and Geeson, whatever. And uh, I think he'll be a really good pickup. I'm glad you brought him up. Doug and I mentioned him in an earlier podcast. He's a guy that can stretch out, be that perfect stretch for kind of guy for Mike Young. And the thing I really like about him, if he does ultimately decide to come to Virginia tech, he's kind of the one of one player that, there isn't another guy like him on the roster. So, yes, it might take some time for him to develop. But Mike Young has shown, you know, in the past, even now offered a, a great pedigree of developing guys to become star contributors for his team, no matter what the stars are. 
And I think he's a guy that just has so many raw tools that if you pair him with a coaching staff that knows what they're doing, he could become a really scary player in a few years. And the thing with him is he's essentially going to be Tech's fourth big guy but behind Aluma, Ojiako, and, and P.J. Horn. And that'll give him time to develop kind of on his own and slowly, however he needs to. But um, with Aluma having two years left, Horn has a year left. Yeah, he'll be a senior senior next year. He can kind of fit in nicely, kind of on the development track with Ojiako going forward long term. All right, guys. I know it was was short. It was sweet. But we have a ton of questions, a ton of great questions. Any final thoughts that you want to wrap up about Landers Nolly before we dive into the questions? Matei, how do you feel about the Nolly trolley leaving the station officially? Oh, that was the best meme that I could have ever created. And it is done within what? Four months. So be on the lookout for some new ones. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, that one stings a little bit. You going to make the, uh, the cone drone coming forward. We'll see. I think, I think the rest of Virginia tech Twitter has covered that pretty well. So it so might have workshop to be that a little bit. Might have to be something with Joe Bamisil or Darius Maddox, but we'll see. Or I, don't know. I think the cone drone is, I, think, I like the cone drone. We'll workshop it. We're, we'll keep working. <laughs> Jumping into the questions. The first one is from Cigar Guy. You can argue Landers Nolly was Virginia Tech's best player this year. You can definitely argue that. Who will it be in 2021? Let's start with Chris. Yeah, I, th- I think it depends on how you look at it, right? If you look advanced analytics, Landers Nolly was certainly not Virginia Tech's best player this past year. Uh, and I mean, you can even point to the last game where where Virginia Tech, I mean, just got crushed by UNC, but uh, it was really interesting what Mike Young did. Nolly uh, and uh, Wilkins just split time and they never were on the floor together. Uh, Wilkins was actually the only player to end with a positive plus minus on the entire team. So uh, like who is, who is it going to be uh, kind of in that sense? He didn't even score a point finish with the best plus minus. You're going to see some of these under the radar guys. Uh, and I mean, with that type of system in place where those guys can, can flourish, I think it has to be Radford again. Uh, I think, uh, he proved himself this year. He'll prove himself again. If it's not Radford, uh, I'm going Bama Seal. I mean, I scouted him in person, talked to a bunch of people. I, I'm super high on him. Didn't even play this year because he had knee surgery. But I, I think that'll make him come in uh, with a little bit more energy, uh, pretty fresh. He's really, really good. So if it's not Radford, I think it's going to be Bama Seal. But I expect big things from both of them. I'm going Radford, too. Um, kind of touched on it earlier in terms of expanding his game to add a three-point shot. He's, he shot 12 three-pointers this year. It was one for 12 for uh, a whole 8.3%. But um, if he can just get up to, like, 25 30% from beyond the arc and have even be a little bit of a threat, I think that makes a big difference in his game. And he's already, obviously, exceptionally talented. He'll be a registered sophomore, so he's going to his third year in the program, third year in college. Um, he's getting to that point, I think, athletically and physically where he can, you know, he can match just about anybody in the ACC. So I think I think at this point there's no doubt it's Tyrese Radford 
pending some time in the Hanhurst Center shooting some three-pointers this offseason. I'm exactly with Chris. One Radford, two Bamasil. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Hokies Runo, projecting the starting lineup for next year, as of now at least, in what areas would Mike Young still want to improve to be able to run his offense slash defense efficiently other than experience? So we'll start with projecting the lineup. What I got, Wabisabidi at point, Naheem Aline at the two, Radford, Horn in Nolly's spot, and Kivaluma at the five. I'll go with uh, Beatty at the point, Cone at the two, Radford at the three. Uh, this fourth spot is, is, is giving me some issues. Uh, part of me feels like Mike Young is going to play uh, pretty small again next year, so I, you could see someone like a Bamasil at the four, which is kind of crazy, but, uh, I mean, he loves those smaller lineups. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go with Bamasil and then uh, have Aluma as the five. Uh, but Aluma and Ojiako right now are interchangeable. But I'll go, I'll go Beatty, Cohen, Radford, Bamasil, Aluma. I'm going to go Beatty, Nahima Lean, Radford. I'm going Mike Young goes big to start next year with Aluma and Ojiako in the starting lineup together. Um, but clear, clearly the, the, the swingers are going to be Jalen Cohn if he gets into the lineup. And then what do you do at that four or five spot with Horn, Alumo, Giacco, and whether you want to whether you want to go small or um, start going big? I think Giacco's progress at the end of the season was encouraging, and I, you know, I think it, given where the program will be next year, they need to kind of ride him out and let him develop um, with more and more time as next season goes along too. So I think we'll start big, but um, it kind of feels like another year will where Mike Young will tinker with starting lineups basically all year. I 100% agree with that. I was just about to say there's so many guys, like if you think about the bench with potentially Cone, Couture, Ojiaco, Bamasil, like that's a stacked bench right there. And there's so many different unique lineup combinations that you can make if you want to go small. You know, you could even put Horn at the five if you want to with Aluma and Ojiaco out if he gets five fouls in a minute. So there's so many different lineup combinations that you can make, and it's going to be really interesting to see which way they go. But no matter what, it just feels like next season, Virginia Tech is going to be very deep and be able to even in game, it doesn't really matter who's starting because so many different guys will contribute. All right. The second part of the question is, in what areas would Mike Young still want to improve to be able to run his offense slash defense? I think I think it's just individual improvement. Um, you talk about Jalen Cohn becoming a little more of a threat off dribbling, you know, taking guys off the dribble. Um, Aline's got to become more consistent. It's just more development, individual players getting better. I don't think it's any, like, scheme fit or anything like that. Just continued development from all these young guys will pretty much solve most of Virginia Tech's issues. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, uh, I mean, you can look at a really talented big man coming in and, and talk about that being a priority, but with the way the roster kind of breaks down and, and the scholarships that are available, uh, you know, I, I don't think much changes, and I think you, you look for a big guy afterwards. So if you're talking about you know, improving uh, with players coming in. I think it'll be 
like a, a Carter Witt or a Ngeeson coming in. Uh, if you're talking about specific players, yeah, I think it's just uh, kind of that aggressiveness. The team was so aggressive early in the season, getting after it, diving all over the floor. Uh, and I understand it, it wasn't against quite the talent that they're going to see in the ACC. But uh, if that type of effort continues throughout the year, uh, I mean, Virginia Tech is going to be in a really good spot. So uh, I totally agree with Doug. I think there's a few places you could look where you can talk about individual improvement. But if you're going to go overall, I think it's kind of just the hustle and the effort uh, continuing throughout the year and, and making Virginia Tech that hard-nosed team nobody wants to face. I think it's I think it's also going to be clearly adding size and, that, and just adding a second tall guy, basically. Uh, Virginia Tech has not had two tall guys, tall guys being anybody over six foot eight in the rotation in five years now, dating back to when Kerry Blackshear and Shane Henry were forming some sort of rotation at the five. So um, it'll be a big moment next year for when Virginia Tech starts rolling out two guys over six foot eight at the same time. Second question from Hokies Runo. Really, really interesting question. I think we'll have differing opinions on this one. If you could take one player off of our Sweet 16 team, including Chris Clark, and put them on next year's team, who would it be? Can we just can we clarify first? Are we saying that for, it's only for this one season or it's for a career and we would be getting Ooh, as like that, a freshman or a sophomore? Yeah, that might change my answer, but let's just assume that it's for one season. All right, you guys go ahead. Is is it is it for the the same year as the Sweet Sixteen, or is it like their next season? What next season? All right, I'm going on to kill Alexander Walker. Third year, he'd be in his third year in the pro, third year in CAA um, as a dynamite wing perimeter player. Um, Clearly, very talented. Given that he was a first-round pick in the NBA, I think anytime you can convince a first-round pick to come back and play for his third year in college, I think he would make a. I think Blackshear is probably the other pick um, in terms of adding a true center. But um, I think when you're talking about convincing a first-round pick to come back, you got to go with that. You're missing one. I'm going with. Seventh-year senior Justin Robinson with a healthy foot, and here's why. First of all, one of the best point guards when he was a senior, when he was healthy, the team was absolutely dynamic with him at the point. He was able to score. His three-point percentage was through the roof. He's a guy that just makes everyone else on the court better. Not only that, but think about the lineups that you could produce. Maybe put BD at the two-guard. That would be one of the most dominant backcourts defensively. Uh, and then offensively, I just think it would really improve in late game situations, having a guy with that much experience, being able to shoot all over the court. And we talked about it, not having a guy like Nolly, uh, having a guy like Justin Robinson to take your final shot would be pretty nice for a young squad for next year. So that's my pick. Yeah, I think I think obviously you guys named three uh, like easy answers. Uh, Justin Robinson, assist leader at Virginia Tech. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, first-round pick, which hasn't happened in who knows how long, and Kerry Blackshear, arguably one of the best big men to play at Virginia Tech, certainly uh, in the recent history. But I'm not going with any of them. Oof. And I'm going with Ahmed Hill. Wow. Uh, I, I think Ahmed is 
absolutely perfect for Mike Young's system. Uh, incredible defender. You need that player who's going to give you that spark, uh, and I think he provides a spark, especially with his defense and energy every time he comes on the court. Uh, and, I mean, the best part of his game is just catch and shoot three, and the way that this team moves the ball, uh, there's so many opportunities for that. And so uh, I know it's unconventional, and it, it probably would be better to to get a Nikhil Alexander-Walker in there because uh, he can kind of do some of the same things. But, I mean, I just love Hill's energy, uh, and that's what this team was about early in the year, like I just said. Uh, and I think he'll help him bring it for the full year. So couple it with the leadership uh, and skill set. I'm going to Med Hill. I love the differing opinions. I knew it was going to happen, but I love it. The last question from Hokies Runo. Do you think a college basketball version of 2K would succeed? I know a decent amount about this because I read a lot about it. So there was a college basketball version of 2K. The better version was NCAA March Madness, which was like NCAA football. Um, the last game they made in 2000 was NCAA March Madness 2008, which is a phenomenal game. You can still play it to this day. Um, if you're into dynasty modes, fantastic dynasty mode. Um, but not enough people bought the college basketball game, so that's why they stopped making it. This was, I mean, the last NCAA football game was. 2014 2015 and they didn't make another ncaa march madness after 2008 so um if you ever see the ncaa march madness with a mecca okrifer on the cover uh, <laughs> that, that that's that's the one you gotta buy i, I thought it was kevin love in, in 2010 but either way i love that game man that that was i played that for hours and hours if they made a new one i would go buy 20 of them just because i try to keep them in business that game should succeed but it wouldn't but it was awesome there was there's nothing better than recruiting like African big men and like Japanese guards to come play at whatever whatever tiny program you're coaching. See, I don't I don't know how it works, but I'm a big believer in NCAA 14 football. And what I do is I'm the recruiting mastermind on that game. I find the two star recruits. All of a sudden, it's like a diamond in a rough. They bump up to four star status, and I get them all in the program. I would absolutely eat it alive because I'd probably spend, you know, an hour recruiting, an hour playing, an hour planning official visits and all that. So it would be so much fun. And it's always fun taking like a team that nobody knows and then turning them into the number one team year after year after year. Because you always end up winning in that game, which is really good for the self-confidence as well. You would have loved NCAA March Madness because there's 360 NCAA Division I teams that you can take over. Um, so go have fun recruiting at Coppin State. <laughs> All right. Next question from Carlos Danger. Will Boots still be processed out of the program or will his one-year gift scholarship be graciously renewed out of the kindness of our hearts? Yeah, obviously, obviously a joke, but... yeah. Uh, I, it just speaks to how great he was this year, like even more. Uh, when he came in, uh, thought he was a walk-on because I don't even think the school announced that he came. He just showed up, uh, kind of like they did with the other walk-on or with with the true walk-on, Brandon Palmer. And so, uh, I mean, really, a story out of nowhere was offered super late. Uh, Florida State came after him too, uh, and then uh, they actually 
tried to get him uh, after Buzz left, but that's illegal, so we can't talk about that too much. Uh, but super talented guy. So, I mean, as, as Doug and I said, I think he's going to be probably the best player next year. Dropping <laughs> some nuggets I here. I was, I'm trying to hold it together here, but. <laughs> they already have MJ Walker, so they could get. Oh, let's dudes. not even get into that. Please, no. <laughs> uh, do you want me to answer this? No, he's not getting processed out of the program. <laughs> he's a. Uh, Chris covered. He's he's gonna be great. I mean, he's he still got three years of eligibility left. Um, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's gonna be a early entrant in an NBA draft. So imagine him his fifth year senior at this point. That's gonna be uh, <laughs> he he might be getting bored, but if he's as good as he if he as if he's as good as he was this year for the rest of his time. I guess we should rephrase it, even though it's a joke, that out of the kindness of his heart, he will graciously come back to Virginia Tech for another season. Um, But the next question, this is mainly, or a bunch of questions, actually, mainly for Chris here. Where does Virginia Tech go if they do not land Carter Witt? Would we take and Gison and Pinckney if we miss? I think Pinckney is done. Um... We talked about it a little bit on the board today. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is kind of move forward with other options, and uh, I think a large part of that is because of Ngeeson. So, um, uh, Ngeeson is, in my opinion, number one on the board. Uh, if slash when other players decide to leave, uh, I think it opens up a spot for Wit uh, or another guard. Uh, if it's not Wit, I think it'll be Brandon Murray, uh, really really talented guard uh, out of Maryland that. Uh, Frazier went and scouted the other day when he was uh, up looking at another guy and stood out so much he pretty much offered on the spot. So uh, there's there certainly are a few others. Uh, there's a few transfers, uh, grad transfers that are on the market, but uh, that's that whole process has kind of been slowed. So uh, things are still a, a little bit in limbo, but I think in Geeson and Witt are pretty obviously the top two. Uh, after that, uh, Brandon Murray and um, Odakale committed to Pitt today, so he's out. So a, a few few random pieces, but I, I think most people know um, those main guys who are going to be there, plus the transfers that will pop up. <laughs> the follow-up question, what up with the big Frenchie? Yeah, I don't know what's up with Batchco. <laughs> uh, I, I've asked about him a little bit, and uh, I don't know if it – I really know next to nothing about him. I don't know if he's still in France. If he is, we certainly aren't going to hear from him for a while. Uh, if he came over here and played in the States, then, uh, I mean, I I don't know about it. So uh, it when, when he was offered, I was told that he was so good. He's a player that you can't not offer. Uh, so, I mean, if he's still considering Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech is certainly still considering him. But uh, with just the way those recruitments kind of go and, um, not really knowing much about foreign recruiting uh, to this level. I, I don't have much much insight on that. All right, now we'll open it up to Doug. What do you think of the, of the future potential of Cone at point guard? I think he'll be listed as the point in a lot of future starting lineups, but I don't think he's ever going to be a hundred percent point given how 
I mean, we saw how effective he is off the ball coming off screens this year and how much attention he draws just when he's flying around the screen. Um, I think I think you're going to really see um, Mike Young get creative with how the offense is set up, and I think it opens up a lot of opportunities for kind of the combo guard guys that we've, you know, the Radford, Aline, Joe Bamisil, Darius Maddox. Bamisil and Maddox are both at least six foot four. You need some size, or you're going to need some size with with Cone on the floor um, at the other guard spot. So I think I think he's going to be your, you know, if you're looking at the starting five, he's going to be like the listed point guard. But I think the way Virginia Tech plays is definitely going to um, going to be flexible in terms of how much he's actually playing actually running like the true point versus you know a Naheem Aline with the ball in his hands a Tyrese Radford with the ball in his hands so um certainly defensively he'll figure it out how to and the rest of the team will figure out how to how to defend with him guarding probably the weaker of the one and two guards for the opposing teams um but certainly a lot of flexibility and just his his ability as a shooter you you figure out how to get the ball in any way possible. Chris. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think he, I really don't think he's a point guard. I think, but he, he has to be listed as a point guard because you can't have a five ten shooting guard. Um, but shooting guard is obviously his better spot. So five um, foot 10. I mean, that might be generous. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, Either way, he's. I think he's a shooting guard. He has a little bit of point guard in him when he needs it, but I don't think it'll be consistent throughout his career. And so you need another point guard uh, that can come in. Some of these guys with the system, uh, like Mike has, we'll, we'll talk about his system a bunch. But uh, you know, you don't you don't need a superstar point guard. You just need somebody who can create a little bit. And I think they still need to create a little bit more than Cone can. Um, so it's still a little bit more of a true point guard. But I mean. He's obviously going to see the floor a bunch. Uh, huge, huge recruiting win for him, uh, for Christian Webster to, to be able to get him in right after Buzz left. And, uh, I mean, he's going to be a, a massive piece for Virginia Tech going forward. I kind of feel like Buzz dabbled with the same kind of thing with Robinson later in his career where Robinson was playing. You know, they had Alexander Walker and they had to have – the ball in his, his hands, so they kind of dabbled with Robinson off the ball. I think that's kind of more of the same of what you'll see, as particularly as a guy like Bamisil develops. That's all. That was my final point. I like it. I like it. <laughs> the next question, I'll take the first crack at this one. Can Aluma shoot well enough to play four at the four with Ogiaco in the game? So in my personal opinion, and this is without seeing Aluma play in person yet, I think his best fit is at the five. I think there will be times, few times, where they'll play him with Ojiako and certainly has enough athleticism to play at the four. I don't know if he has the best you know, perimeter shooting to be the best fit in that particular scenario. But with a guy like Aluma, I think he's going to make a lot of strides just eating up space in the interior, setting screens for guys. And just if other guys on the perimeter find themselves in a situation where, you know, the opponents are are closing them out and he's one-on-one with the other big man in the paint, I think that's where he thrives. 
So I think you're kind of taking him out of his game if you move him outside the five. But curious to hear what you guys think about that. I'm currently looking up his stats from Walford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I got you. I got you. So he, uh, yeah, he, I think he averaged like nine and nine uh, his sophomore season at Walford before he transferred. It wasn't known as much of a shooter, uh, but from, from what I've heard, he spent his entire redshirt season, uh, the summer coming in and this whole past season, uh, just trying to, to get a more consistent outside shot. Uh, to be able to play a little bit more as a, a pick and pop four. So uh, I think he certainly can play four. Um, I, I just don't think Mike Young is going to go with that much size that consistently. So uh, I think it'll happen in spurts, but I don't think it'll, it'll happen overly um, or, or super frequently. I found his stats from Walford. He shot one three-pointer over two seasons at Walford. So Clearly had a lot of work to do, um, but as Chris said, he apparently spit the whole uh, red, shirt, red shirt year working on it. So um, maybe he can pass along the drills that he did to Tyrese Radford and see what happens <laughs> next year. <laughs> the next question, very good one. Best career at Virginia Tech when it's all said and done between Hunter Couture, Naheem Aline, and Justin Bibbs. The safe pick right now is Justin Bibbs, based on the kind of career he had. Um, out of the guys that are still eligible, Aline is the guy that clearly he draws all the Bibbs comparisons because he's also left-handed. But um, he's got the potential to kind of be that. I don't think he's ever going to be the lead guy, but he's going to be a really, really dangerous secondary weapon, secondary scorer for Virginia Tech. And, um Yes, I think think now you still have to say Justin Bibbs, just because he had a really good career. But um, Oveen certainly has, I think, more potential than Couture. Chris, yeah, not much, not much to add there. I, uh, Bibbs had a really solid career, and I feel like people thought it should have gone up a little bit more. But I mean, super consistent player, Aline. Uh, looks like he's on his way there. So I think you have to go Bibbs, uh, but it wouldn't shock me if Aline got there. I think Couture could get to, to Bibbs' level, but I would I don't think he'll surpass him. So I think it's between Bibbs and Aline, uh, uh, lean towards Bibbs. It kind of feels like Aline is going to have pretty much the exact same career as Bibbs. Bibbs came in a year before the Robinson class and kind of made his mark as a freshman and was – going to be a key player for the team for the rest of his career and then kind of as buzz developed the program he recruits alexander walker hill comes back from his injury i mean bibbs was kind of forced into playing the four um later in his career especially as tech struggled to find enough tall guys to play so he kind of went from being his freshman year the like the clear future like number one guy to as Tech added talent, his role kind of shifted into a more secondary role. And I think that's kind of kind of likely with Aline, if you're looking at Bamasil coming in and Cone developing that kind of thing. Now, it's not part of the question, but I am curious. If you throw Joe Bamasil into that mix between Joe Bamasil and Justin Bibbs, what say you guys? I... I I think we just need to ask the clarifier. 
what what do you consider to be a better career? Do you consider it to be accolades at the end of your career or the bigger impact? Because Justin Robinson had one of the biggest careers at Virginia Tech, but I think everybody would say that Nikhil Alexander Walker was was better and was a first round pick, so he got more like. So what what way what way are you asking? I guess biggest impact uh, across the course of their career. Yeah, I'll go Bama Seal. I agree. I agree as well. Dang. Uh, over Joe under. Bamasil has some high expectations. Going huge in. expectations <laughs> after this one. Over under 21 and 11 next year. We can start with Doug. I'm going to go under. Uh, I think I think the ACC is going to be much improved next year. I think Virginia Tech is going to improve. But um, I think I think it'll be barely under that um, kind of feels like next year is the bubble year in terms of the trajectory of the program and you know 21 11 probably puts them in the bubble on the bubble um, I think I think it'll still be um, given how the town ACC was this year that will be um, tough sledding at some points there I think I think they'll win you know I don't think you'll see them losing it you know, at Boston College or at Miami, those kind of lower level games. But I think it'll still be just barely under there. And I don't know if they're going to be on the right side of the bubble or the wrong side of the bubble. But I think next year is the bubble year. And then two years from now, I guess that would be 2021, 20, 2022. I think that's the NCAA tournament year. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, uh, I would go just under, probably at like a 19 and 13, but that's also before we know how the schedule breaks out, before we know all the non-conference people. So, I mean, it's way too early to, to like truly guess for that. But I, I think there will definitely be an improvement from this year, but not all the way to the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, right in that 19 and 13, 18 and 14 range. Yeah, I think if all goes well, 20 wins is the goal of the season. I think they'll finish slightly below that 18-19, like Chris said. So I'm going under. Um, VT David 16, what are your thoughts on our current 2020 commits? Well, Bamisil is going to be a star, as we've been saying this entire <laughs> I was podcast. Say. <laughs> He's going to be Bamisil all ACC first good. team. Um, but what about let's let's shift that to Darius Maddox? I mean. We haven't talked much about him. He's a guy, 6'4", four-star guy, I think on the cusp of the top 100, but another recruit that could make a sizable impact in year one. Yeah, I think he uh, is going to make a pretty significant impact. And because everyone is so excited about Bama Seal, he gets slept on, but uh, he is a top 100 guy. If he's not, he just got demoted out of it. But, I mean, he's right there. really good defender. He's not super flashy. Uh, and so I think that is why he can get slept on a little bit too, because you're not going to see a whole bunch of highlight reel plays, but, uh, I mean, he's just consistent. Uh, like I said, really good defender, uh, pretty good shooter from the outside, uh, is going to kind of space the offense and at six, six, um, just another, another wing that you can kind of rotate through and, and play any position. So, uh, I, I think he, he certainly will be in the rotation and will will play a pretty decent role uh, from these first two guys. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is set up really well. Yeah, I, don't know, I haven't watched 
Maddox nearly as much as just Damasil, but um, it's going to be a crowded perimeter backcourt there once you start. When you think about BD and Cone and Couture and Aline and Radford and Bamasil and Maddox, um, which should, especially for a program with where most of those guys are fresh, all of all of them except one are freshmen or sophomores. So, um, you know, clearly we're really high on Maddox, uh, Bamasil. I don't know as much about Maddox, but, you know, is this bigger wing that fits in with pretty much exactly what Virginia Tech needs at this point. I will say he averaged roughly 15 points per game in the Nike EYBL league and had roughly five assists, super ultra competitive league. I think he's a guy that, you know, there is kind of a log jam at the two and three guys that are spacing out on the perimeter. I want to see what Mike Young decides to do with him. Maybe he becomes a, a guy that can spell some minutes for, Wabisa Beattie, uh, learn under him, maybe take more of a point guard approach. He's a 6'4 guy, as Chris mentioned, terrific defender. So we'll see if that translates, but he certainly has a lot of those tools that you look for, and he's very flexible at that. Next question. How should we measure success in year two? We could start with Chris. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's just going to be kind of consistency across the board. Um, this year, like it was really easy to point to how well Virginia Tech was shooting from beyond the arc because they were doing it really well. And uh, I think some people got there, but most people were like, wow, this is awesome. This is this is going to be what Virginia Tech is. And then the Hokies had a major wall, and it was like, oh, now they're the worst team in the league. It's like, eh, it's a little bit in between there. But – uh, to, to get a little more consistency uh, there, especially shooting from the outside and uh, kind of building up that uh, depth there with, with Bama Seal, with Cone, getting, getting more options on the table. Uh, and like I said, I think a huge part of that consistency is just going to be uh, the tenacity that the team shows. And I have no doubt uh, that it will come. Uh, but... Uh, that showing up a little bit more frequently will be a huge stepping stone. I think Chris touched on a little bit with kind of the, the, the emphasis on three-point shooting. I think you're going to look for a little more diversity in how Virginia Tech plays offense. I think as a team, we kind of we touched on it earlier. We're thinking a bubble year is fair to expect. I think what I really want to see is Virginia Tech has this group of Cone, Aline, Couture, Ojiako. They're adding Bamasil and Maddox. They've got this really good group of young players. And uh, the the following year is the year we said we expect to be in the NCAA tournament. So I think next year is about figuring out out of that group of six or seven players who the who the top two or three where's your who's your big three who's your big two who is going to be really the leading leading you know one or two or three players that um that really becomes the alpha male on on the tech team i mean the buzz williams teams pretty much became justin robinson and carrie blackshear's team with Nikhil alexander walker um 
as 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 a younger player, but Robinson and Blackshear were clearly the older players that that got a lot of the attention and and for good reason. And I think knowing that year three is definitely the year that Virginia Tech expects to be in the NCAA tournament. Year two should be about finding is this Jalen Cohn and John Nojiako's team is Nahim Aline going to be the top guy? Can Ben Masil, um I know we talk a lot about him, but clearly as a freshman. You temper your expectations a little bit, but by the end of the year, do you feel confident about him going into his sophomore year? So um, I really want to see when you go from a group of six or seven, who who's the top two or three out of those, and then going into their going into the next year, you know who you can count on. Like the responses from both of you. Next question is from VT Hokies. With two E's and a Z. Will Virginia Tech's 2021 class be better than 2019 and 2020? We can start with Chris. Uh, it's a little bit hard to answer because we don't exactly know how the 2020 class is going to end. Uh, if Carter Witt comes into that, that's another top 100 player. Uh, there's no way Virginia Tech gets three top 100 players in 2021 because they won't have the space for that. So, uh 2020 could be the best. Uh, I do think uh, the 2021 class will be better than the 2019 class just based on average recruit ranking. Um, So in that aspect, for sure. But at this point, it's hard to answer without knowing exactly what the 2020 class holds. Yeah, I'm with you there. I I don't know much about college basketball recruiting, so I defer to Chris. (laughs) <laughs> we all defer to Chris. <laughs> JSM21, how good do you think Kiva Luma can be for this team next year, and where do you see him fitting in positionally? We kind of touched on this before. I see him as an ideal five for the system. I think he's going to become the leading rebounder of the team. I know Tyrese Radford got a ton of rebounds, but I think Kiva Luma will clean a lot of those up defensively and be able to secure a few more offensively. And then I think just his ability to get guys open just because he's such an athletic big man and emphasis on big man. He's a huge guy that Virginia Tech really needed this past year. I I think he's just a guy that does all the little things. So maybe it's not going for 10 and 10 a night, but he's a guy that will get the occasional double-double. He'll score some cleanup baskets. We'll see if, you know, that work on the perimeter shooting has paid off in the redshirt year. But I think he's a guy that's really going to impact the game, just eating up space on the offensive side of the ball, being a, a good rebounder and a guy that really is a paint presence for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Uh, like I, I, I said, you know, he's been working on the three, but I, he, I don't think he's going to get to the level that PJ Horn is. So I, we need to set expectations there. And people still say that PJ Horn should never shoot, even though that doesn't make any sense to me. So, <laughs> like, I'm not trying to, to hype him up too much and uh, make it seem like he's about to light it up from beyond the arc. But I think uh, that he will be able to st- step out and, and make the occasional three. Uh, and like you said, I think, I think he's going to be pretty good down in the paint, which is what he showed down in Wofford. So, uh, I think the pick and roll is going to be huge, uh, a huge part of his game. Uh, I think pairing him with, uh, P 
P.J. Horn potentially to allow Horn to go on the outside but still kind of have two big men on the defensive end uh, will, will be really good. And so I, I probably see him as a five like we talked about. I think he could play the four. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting. I, Virginia Tech hasn't had this like type of big man depth, which is crazy because they still don't have depth. But like this type of depth in a while. And so I'm not quite sure how Mike Young is going to gonna use it, if he's going to try to overload it to get those guys better, uh, or if he's still going to go primarily guard heavy and uh, just see what the, what the year holds with the truly undersized team. He makes a huge difference. Chris touched on it in terms of have, just having the potential to go big when you need it. Um, for the last five years, anytime Virginia Tech played, Duke, North Carolina, Florida State, Louisville, any of the big teams, any of the top teams that have multiple big guys, even throw UVA in there, the Ukite and and Huff. Um, they're just – it's a fact that you're disadvantaged when you only have one tall guy. Um, and you just look at, like, Gar- was the UNC's guy's name's Garrison Brooks, right? Yeah. Like, there's like – there's, the last five years, there's been so many possessions where Virginia Tech just cannot compete with that kind of size for 40 minutes. They're going to give up a couple possessions just on the glass because of their size. Uh, and for the first time in a while, they might be able to compete at some point with that. Um, and I think the other thing Aluma does is doesn't put too much on John, Ogi- John Ogiaco's shoulders before he's necessarily ready i think he's getting better i think he'll play way more next year over the course of the season but is he going to play 30 35 minutes next year no um can you get 20 out of a lumen 20 out of ogiaka at the five i think it's more fair so i think there's a lot um i mean (laughs) just getting i mean that would make buzz williams teams all the more dangerous is just having a little bit of depth at the five and they could never get there now, you know, and now I think Virginia Tech will be there for at least the next two years. Gobble, gobble, 522. Do you guys see Mike Young and staff being a group that is able to pull top 20-ish one-and-done type talents to Virginia Tech every once in a while? Uh, I don't know if... I believe that's like his philosophy. I don't know if that will ever be his philosophy. I think what you're seeing is it doesn't really matter where you land in the top 100. They're going after guys that just so happen to be four-star prospects and guys that they either have really strong ties to or that they can see becoming a really good player. And they're guys that may not necessarily have aspirations of just playing one year and going pro. I think they want to get as much out of Virginia Tech as they can, help the team, help themselves develop and become polished products if that time does come. So personally, I don't see it happening. Uh, Top 20-ish, one-and-done type players coming to Virginia Tech. Yeah, this is something I'm pretty passionate about. uh, And uh, I'm going to try not to get fired up. But I think college basketball has started to realize that the one and done phase uh, of like these top, top teams is starting to fade out. Uh, Like 
Kentucky did it uh, like once and what Duke did it once. But most of the time, uh, these teams that are winning national championships have a veteran presence and there's a, a one and done type player that comes in and pushes them over the edge. And, and I think people are starting to kind of see that and notice that the balance of power uh, is with some of those schools. So in that aspect, I think Virginia Tech could be a perfect place for a one and done to come. And the coaching staff has started to actually put that out there. There's a 2021 power forward, Alex Tishu, something like that. Uh, he's like a top 30 player, but he's a five star. Uh, their pitch to him literally was, we're going to have veterans. We're going to have shooters. You're a really talented big man. Come and we can do something special. And then you're going to be gone after a year. And he was like, you know, that actually sounds pretty good. So we'll see like where that goes. Uh, top 20, top 30. I don't know if that part really matters. Uh, you know, a five star is a five star in my opinion. Uh, but uh, I think you're going to see some of these five stars look for uh, some more programs that have uh, a more established veteran leadership and and teams that have been there before. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised to see Kentucky start to go that route and Duke start to go that route. Uh, and so I think five stars, five stars are going to start to spread around a little bit. And Virginia Tech certainly could get in the mix for one. Uh, it, it all depends on relationships. And so uh, some of these guys are, are going to consider it. Others aren't. Uh, it's impossible to say what class, what player, uh, until they really get in there and talk with the coaches. But uh, I, I'm not going to rule it out. Uh, I just think it's it's unlikely. I think uh, once in a while depends on how you define once in a while. Uh, it's got to be for Virginia Tech. It's got to be the right situation. As Chris said, it's all about the relationships. The two five stars Virginia Tech has gotten. Nikhil Alexander-Walker had the relationship with Jamie McNeely. And Dorian Finney-Smith, Seth Greenberg had to hire John Richardson from Old Dominion to secure him to come to Virginia Tech. And he left after, left after a year. But um, so clearly it's the right situation. Um, the other thing is Duke, UNC, Kansas, Louisville, Kentucky, those guys are going to take their five stars pretty much every year. So there's as far as the guys that are going to consider Virginia Tech, it's you know it's not the full full class of five stars every year. So it's very few. So once in a while, sure they might have a chance, and if they can get rolling with the program a little bit, maybe it's more. Maybe renovating Castle helps them out a little bit. Um, all that. Once in a while, sure, yeah. Um, it's all about relationships, though, yeah. Yeah, and again, just just because we say maybe it's unlikely doesn't mean that that's the bar of what's successful and what isn't. still think, like Chris said, you're seeing a proven formula of a lot of guys that trust the system that they're in. They've been there for a long time, and kind of growing up together, you see like these big classes – like Virginia Tech last year, they had a lot of guys that played together a lot of years, and all of a sudden it's the best team in uh, Virginia Tech history. So I think you know, you're know you not dependent on a guy like that. It could happen down the road. I guess Henry Coleman would have been the closest one this past year. Um, not sure if he's exactly a five-star guy right now. Uh, ended up committing to Duke, but um, that certainly could happen if Virginia Tech establishes themselves. Um Last two questions. 
before we wrap things up. Cold Turkey. This one's for Chris. Trey McGowan's one-time tech top target is transferring out of Pittsburgh. He's in the portal right now. Thoughts on him coming to Virginia Tech with the logjam with all the guards? Yeah, there's no way he's coming to Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't even know if Virginia Tech will reach out. Uh, I'm just a huge Trey McGowan's fan. Uh, like, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Uh, but he's he's not going to come to Virginia Tech. <laughs> Root from afar. All right, the last question. Carlos Danger had to bring up the coronavirus at the very end. COVID impact on recruiting. I'll open up to you guys because I have absolutely no idea when this is going to end, if it will end, you name it. I don't know how it's going to impact recruiting too much other than these visits over the summer just don't look like they're going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like impossible to answer right now. I keep asking for for some clarity from some people close to the program and no one can really offer up much of anything because – uh, there's just so much unknown right now. I think the interesting thing is kind of how much it has slowed um, the process. And, you know, we've seen a few coaches get fired, but uh, I would have expected far more by now uh, after the season ended. And it kind of seems like uh, the coronavirus is, is kind of slowed things on that end. Uh, same with visits. I mean, there were guys who were planning on taking one final trip before they were about to commit. Now they can't take that trip. Do they just go with the school that they were already liking and sucks for that school that they were going to visit? Or do they try to be fair and hold out? I mean, each one's going to be different. It definitely puts, uh, puts a kind of stop or a hold uh, on things right now. And we'll see a few things happen, but not at the speed that we should. Uh, the question, I, just, I don't know how long that goes. I don't know if that's a uh, right now thing i don't know if that's a six month thing i don't know if you know just just like the virus it, it feels kind of impossible to nail down and answer so it, it will impact it what level it impacts it really hard to say clearly the longer the virus the effects of the virus goes on the more impacted i mean nobody's recruiting nobody's hosting anybody Chris kind of touched on an interesting aspect of it. The coaching carousel is certainly not spinning, and I think that's absolutely um, because, you know, if you're on the fence about firing your coach and you're going to have to pay a buyout, there's no way you're you're committing to that right now. Um, so until we know more about the virus and how long we, we can expect this, I mean, recruiting's on hold everything's on hold i mean i don't you, you can't even get together team right now, um, for anything so yeah everything's on hold and it's gonna be some weird times going forward um particularly if this prolongs getting towards august um so we'll see well and I, and I think one of the things that the the question was um like actually on the board was does this impact um you know more and we see a lot of transfers after coaching changes or coaching changes going to get delayed I don't think they can get delayed more than 2 months cuz I, I mean that would just kind of blow my mind to to try to redo all of this in August 2 months before the season is supposed to start and so uh 
I don't think he can draw that long. Uh, I don't think you can hold out for transfers about thinking about where coaches might get fired for that long. I think that is kind of a a one month, one and a half month process. Uh, and then the transfers that come from it, we'll see. Uh, but it's really hard to to play the the game of do we tell this guy no because we hope that someone else comes like that's going to happen all over the nation. Uh, I don't think Virginia Tech is going to get too into the weeds with that. So uh, I still think Witt is a major priority and Geeson's a major priority. Um, some of these other guys will come. Uh, if there's a transfer that wants to come to Virginia Tech late, who knows what could happen. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it'll impact other schools more that, than it will impact Virginia Tech. Agreed. I did brush over one question from Brush24. Um he wants to know, and nice. I'll, <laughs> I'll direct this one to Chris. He wants to know how long before you guys let me on a pod or the board as a basketball only insider. Is there enough room, Chris, for another guy? I mean, yeah, send me a message, man. Take my job. Next pod, we'll have him on. We'll ask some questions, and then we'll see. We'll see if I can hand down the reins. You better own Camo Cross. See what his thoughts <laughs> are. <laughs> we'll see what he thinks about Joe Bay myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, any final words to the people before we officially end this podcast? Uh, I, I'm just a generally optimistic person, but uh, just I feel like it needs to be said again. Uh, this this past season was impressive. And uh, for a rebuilding year, for it to end the way it did, and for there to be as much promise uh, in the players that Virginia Tech had for the way that they got a majority of their roster – uh, is just really impressive. So uh, just incredible work by Mike Young. I think it shows how bright the future is uh, and uh, just a really exciting time to kind of be on the journey with this program, uh, with the coaches and staff that's in place. Yeah, you compare it to Buzz Williams' first year when they were starting Christian Beyer, Will Johnston against Duke. Like with Christian Beyer guarding Julio Okafer and Buzz got an overtime against against them in Castle Coliseum, but there's clearly more depth and more talent already on this team to develop over the next three years. So, so I think I think you got to be pretty optimistic, as Chris said, about the team and the program going forward. Yeah, so many pieces. Finally, some big man depth. Joe Bamisil, first overall pick next year. I mean, what could go wrong there? And then <laughs> Kiva Luma, wherever he plays. A second uh, we'll tall guy. It's incredible. Yeah. So a lot to look forward to. A lot of pieces. We'll see how they all shape out. It's going to be really interesting uh, to track the team and how much progress they'll make in the offseason, honestly. So, um, yeah, it's been a fun one, guys. Thank you both for joining. And to everyone else, we'll see you next time. Into the world